Let me say a few words about what's going on in John 17. Um, Let me pray briefly. Our gracious God, as we come from different places, different perspectives, in a land, personally, I think if you analyze our cultural sense of uh, missionaries and what that means to people, um, that has become something sort of politically incorrect. Um, The idea of going somewhere and wanting to influence how other people think and how they shape their lives. Um, But the gospel sometimes is politically incorrect. And your love can't help but go out. And I pray that it goes out into our hearts, into our lives as your people today, as a people who always has the open door and the empty chairs for our friends to come and explore and try to understand and ask questions about who you are and why some of us think you are so good. Be good to us now. Amen. So, very briefly, because I think you've, um, God is working through what's already been said, and this may just be a little appendix. Jesus prays, and in verses 21 and 23, there is both the request and the result. In both of those verses, which is significant, it feels like a sort of, all of a sudden a cluster of emphasis, um, and it's very clear what Jesus wants and hopes for. Oneness, complete unity, mentioned in verse 21 and verse 23. And then the result in both verses is also mentioned that the, something about the world, the onlooking world will notice. So Jesus is praying right before he gets arrested and he's praying for those who would start to make up the church eventually. He's looking forward. It's a visionary prayer for those people who would believe that Jesus was sent from God and that his death and resurrection were a total reformat of how humanity interacts with God um, and our relationship with him. So that's the context of this. He's praying. It's like the final request. It's like the last request of Jesus before he gets arrested and goes to the cross. So what is that request? What does he pray that they or eventually us would do? That we would exhibit unity to the onlooking world. Now, if you're a Christian, I wonder if that feels weighty to you, the way I just described that. It's his last request. It's his chief prayer for those who would eventually... You know, is it a big deal? Is it maybe something even to consider that you'd prioritize in your life? So a safe assumption, I think, from this prayer would be that it is never a waste of energy to do something specific to stay unified with the diverse people that make up uh, the body of Christ or those who follow Jesus. I think it's safe to say that it's never in doubt that God approves of you reconciling with another person. I don't think that's ever in doubt, if that's what you're doing. I don't think you ever have to wonder if Jesus is happy when you, for example, stay with a church that's been imperfect for you, which maybe speaks to some people who are still here. (laughs) A church has been hard for you, annoying to you, difficult for you. Maybe someone's visiting here today and that explains your last church. (laughs) And you might like city life, but this prayer that Jesus prays should have you considering going back. 
just being honest. The Bible is honest. The Bible is honest about how hard um, this is for us. You go back to Cain and Abel. As soon as sin enters and begins to poison our way of approaching the world, suddenly you have brother killing brother in a rage. In the New Testament, the letter to Corinth, you know that people talk dream, with dreamy voice about, oh, the early church. Oh, the early church. And this is from a letter to that early church. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. It's Peter. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? I like this last line. Was Paul crucified for you? And then in one of, I always like these little things that you're kind of left hanging. You don't know the context. In the book of Ephesians, Paul writes, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. They were, they were divided and ununified enough that word had traveled, you know, countries. <laughs> and it necessitated some attempt to try to get them to reconcile, to connect, whoever these people were, whatever they were arguing about. And then Paul and Barnabas famously, on those early journeys to bring this new message of Jesus, they couldn't agree with each other. The representatives of Jesus going from town to town to talk about Jesus couldn't agree enough to stay together, and they parted ways. Our poisoned human nature has us always bending from relationships, splitting up more than we stay together, and so we end up getting used to hearing things like, those are my old friends. That's my ex. That's the church I used to go to. And, and then add the other layer, more than human nature, more than just human nature from the beginning, but also look at our culture. We have der- turned disunity almost into a caricature. This is what we're surrounded by. It feels foreign to us almost to per- really pursue what Jesus is praying for, a culture that says, be who you want to be. You've got to do your thing. Chart your course. Reinvent yourself if need be. Go where you need to go and decide how you're going to shape your unique vision of the good life. Don't let anyone tell you it's lacking. We're all influenced by that. It's almost impossible to follow this teaching. We've normalized the lonely existence of all these little private kingdoms in our stucco boxes side by side. You almost could say, without a wink, that we're, in our culture, in our context, we're a community-free people. Someone sees people doing community the way we are meant to do it. And in our culture, what you say when you see that is you say, look, they're doing intentional community. (laughs) It's, you know, it's, wow, look at that. That looks hard. I can't imagine doing that. Jesus is suggesting a care. I think, let's just be honest. Jesus is suggesting something we're, we're unskilled at. We don't have the tools We need help, and yet it's no less important. Apparently, to some degree, God's connection to the world around us depends on our attractive togetherness. Imagine it like this. If you go on a double date with another couple, if if you're a couple, and, and they're bickering throughout most of the meal and trying to get you to take sides, on the way home, you might say, Honey, um... Let's never go on a double date with them again, <laughs> right? If somebody invites you this year to Thanksgiving at their house with their family and their family is arguing and hurling insults and swearing at each other the whole time, you might say, I don't care if I have to eat at Applebee's next Thanksgiving. 
I'm going to have plans on the calendar when that person invites me again to their family. Is that a little bit like what Jesus doesn't want the church to be like? Because the ugliness of radical individualism is a hindrance for others to come to know and believe in God and God's grace. I think we need to remember that Jesus doesn't pray. I mean, church people really need to remember this. Jesus doesn't pray, Father, may they be right as we are right. He says, Father, may they be one as we are one. What a fascinating prayer. It tells us so much about what God offers you and me and what we have in the first place. Let me just paint this last image. In our family, we have four kids. Two of them are very small, but all of our little ones, when they were really small, went through this. When they see mommy and daddy give each other a hug and they spot that happening, they kind of light up um, with a little mischievous smile. They come over and they start to push their way into it and wedge themselves in and we separate and we pick up and we do the sandwich thing and we say something like, the love is flowing. And it's just a, just a brief moment of joy and giggling and smiling and love shared. God didn't wait for you to find his love attractive and try to push your way into it. The Father and the Son, as happens right after this prayer, they separate painfully in order to let you and me in, to let the church in. And the irony is that to become a Christian, you believe God underwent the agony of disunity so that he would never be separated from you. And a lot of times what we do, our response as God's people, is often to pursue, is to take hold of that. Yes, thank you God for your love. And then to pursue separation from each other. Love is contagious. May the world around us want to wedge their way in to city life. Because we have taken risky steps at oneness, togetherness, committed to small group, forgiving each other. We've made invites to those we don't click with. We've apologized to those we've snubbed. We've tried with those who don't try back. Love is contagious and 2,000 years later, the world is still all around us. Let's pray. Our God of grace, um, as we move and continue to listen to you and interact with your word, uh, as we move into an offering time and communion time, I pray that you keep drawing us into the love that you share between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that you have intentionally made a way for us to be in on. Love us with that and may it spill over. We pray in Jesus' name, asking for the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you as